You are listening to the Campus Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Dinah Jansen. Each Wednesday at 5 p.m. on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, I welcome a new guest from Queen's University to discuss news, issues, upcoming events, initiatives, and services for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Good afternoon, everyone. It is now 5 o'clock here at CFRC 101.9 FM, and you are listening to Campus Beat, produced here at CFRC at Queen's University. And I have the great pleasure to welcome Dr. Richard Burt Whistle, Emeritus Professor of Family Medicine and Public Health Sciences at Queen's University and Chair of the Task Force Thyroid Dysfunction Working Group. He's here in our studio today. Welcome, Dr. Burt Whistle. Thank you very much. But I can call you Rick, can't I? You can. Oh, yay. (laughs) So thank you again very much for your generous time. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself and the role that you've played in family medicine and public health sciences here at Queen's University. I've uh, been in uh, family practice since 1975 and moved to uh, Queen's in the Department of Family Medicine in 1982. And so I've been involved in uh, teaching medical students, graduate students, uh, and family practice residents uh, since that time. Okay, so and with uh, your role at Queen's as a professor, you also had a clinical practice too? I did. I would practice, um, when I started I was practicing five half days a week um, and doing teaching and research the other part. And uh, as the research uh, started to pick up uh, and other administrative activities I was I was practicing two days a week. Okay so for students out there in medicine or perhaps thinking about going into a career in medicine how uh, this is a hard question but how did you balance your research your teaching and graduate supervision and clinical practice that sounds like a lot. Uh, it is a lot when but when you're in the moment you're you're just doing what you do, and I think you have to be pretty organized to be able to do that sort of thing, and your days sometimes are awfully long, and you're still on call, and you're still, um, you know, uh, dealing with uh, sick people who may need you at any time of the day. Mm-hmm. So uh, for me, uh, clinical practice uh, and patients came first. Mm-hmm. They always did. Um and if I, uh, uh, and you know, fortunately with uh, family practice residents as, a, as an example, they would practice in my, in my practice alongside. And so the teaching and clinical care went hand in hand. Uh, when teaching medical students, um, you would have to just not be in, in clinic. Mm-hmm. And uh, the research usually happened after hours and weekends. Now, you're emeriti now, or emeritus, rather. <laughs> My Latin is terrible, obviously. So you're an emeritus professor, and now you're on uh, this end of your career. Did you always know you wanted to be a doctor? Uh, uh, no, not always. Uh, I think probably uh, it's uh, by the time I was in high school, I was thinking uh, I was always interested in science, mm-hmm. and um, so I was always thinking that, um, you know, uh, the science of humans was actually pretty neat. Mm -hmm. And what have you loved most about your career in medicine? I think it is uh, both the 
the practice, uh, connecting with people in the practice uh, who you know had medical problems, and uh, uh, the, the teaching, uh, connecting with students. Mm-hmm. Uh, often I would learn as much from them as they would learn from me. And um, um, the ability to um, think about uh, a, a problem uh, perhaps more deeply than you would if all you were doing was seeing patients in the office uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a research question uh, and trying to look at questions that you know hadn't been answered before or looked at questions that had been answered but maybe relook at it in a different way. Okay. And now with that last point in mind, uh, we're talking about your work with the Task Force Thyroid Dysfunction Working Group. What inspired your particular interests and research questions in thyroid dysfunction? Well, maybe uh, I'd step back a bit. Um, The Canadian Task Force in Primary Health Care, uh, or Preventive Health Care, has been was started in 1978, actually, mm-hmm. and uh, has continued on. And the, the mandate was really to look at uh, prevention and primary care uh, and try and uh, find evidence for um, doing um, the type of preventive work, whether it's uh, some sort of screening, uh, physical activity, those sorts of things, mm-hmm. uh, and um, develop evidence-based guidelines around those topics. Uh, we've, we have, I joined the task force as vice chair in 2009 and we've created a, a variety of guideline recommendations around cancer screening as an example, mm-hmm. hypertension, uh, car- cardiovascular disease, that sort of thing. Okay, so and it so wasn't just about thyroid no. or, hyper th- or hypothyroidism. It, there's a whole manner of guidelines that are being developed by this committee. Exactly. Amazing. Yes, they're, okay. And they're, they're all on the website, um, if you go to the Canadian Task Force website. The, and so uh, we, from a variety of sources, find topics that uh, people are interested in, uh, the evidence base around this particular um, uh, clinical maneuver, mm-hmm. uh, and thyroid was one that I was particularly interested in uh, because uh, testing uh, thyroid screening um, has been, I think, common in primary care uh, in Canada and in in other places for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to look at with whether this is a thing that we should continue to do. Okay, so. Can we get back to the basics here? And it's a very basic question, but when we're talking about uh, thyroid dysfunction, maybe we can talk about what a thyroid gland is, what thyroid dysfunctions are, if they're common, and in fact, are they life-threatening or life-changing? What happens? What's a thyroid and what happens thereafter? <laughs> so a thyroid, the thyroid gland is an, is an important gland in your body. It's in your neck. Mm-hmm. Um, you normally can't feel it, uh, but it's there, and its function is to produce uh, hormones that are very important for metabolic processes within your body. Mm-hmm. The thyroid gland is controlled by your pituitary gland in your in your uh, in your brain, mm-hmm. in your skull, and uh, the this gland produces thyroid stimulating hormone, which um, either 
um, sort of impacts the thyroid gland to make it produce more hormone, mm-hmm. uh, thyroid hormone or less. And uh, so thyroid disease um, is an important um, problem in in uh, in medicine. Um, it's uh, particularly important in uh, in newborns mm-hmm. uh, because it can be result in a, in devastating illness that is a disease that is pretty easy to treat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in pregnant women, it can be something that can cause problems. So. Uh, you can have hypothyroidism, which means an underactive thyroid, or hyperthyroidism, which is an overactive thyroid. Um, both of them have a, have a number of causes, mm-hmm. um, and both of them can cause problems in adults as well. Um, Such as? So with uh, an underactive thyroid, or hypothyroidism, uh, people can find that they... Um, have temperature intolerance, they uh, may feel very tired, they can have uh, cardiac irregularities, um, slowing of their processes so they, their brain doesn't work as well. Mm. Uh, they may, depression can be associated with, uh, with uh, hypothyroidism. So the, there are a variety of impacts uh, that can happen in terms of symptoms. With an overactive thyroid or hyperthyroidism, um, it tends to be uh, more apparent. People are agitated. Uh, they can um, um, have a rapid pulse rate. They can have cardiac, again, cardiac irregularities. They can lose weight. They may sweat profusely. They may have, um, again, temperature intolerance where they feel hot all the time, mm-hmm. even in cold environments. And if you can get, if there's a very rare thing called thyroid storm, which is life-threatening. And it can, what it means is that the hot thyroid is so overactive um, that it makes your heart race rapidly. You can go into heart failure and die uh, from it. So oh it's, um, but it's rare. Yes. Fortunately. And both of these conditions uh, are treatable. Okay. So now with uh, the work that the task force uh, on thyroid dysfunction has done, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the membership and the work the team members did to come up with the guidelines that you've offered? So our, our, uh, the task force has a very um, rigorous approach to trying to assess evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and. The, the task force members are all either clinicians, um, primary care clinicians, uh, some specialists, methodologists, and uh, experts in prevention. So mm-hmm. they sit around a table and talk about uh, the evidence, create the recommendations. We also uh, have people who also work closely with us from the Public Health Agency of Canada. So our scientific officers are all at the Public Health Agency. Um, we have uh, knowledge translation folks working with us uh, a, uh, at U of T. Um, and so this all comes together to produce uh, usually a systematic review of the literature, mm-hmm. uh, create creation of the guidelines, and then uh, um, tools for uh, use for communication Uh, both to physicians uh, and to patients. Okay. So, Rick, from the press release, I understand the task force recently published its findings in the Canadian Medical Association Journal, promoting the new guideline I mentioned earlier, recommending against 
routine screening for thyroid dysfunction in non-pregnant adults without symptoms or risk factors. Why is routine testing for thyroid dysfunction commonly ordered by primary care practitioners? And why does the task force believe this is problematic? The uh, use of um, TSH for screening uh, it has been fairly common and promoted by uh, some specialty organizations and others. Um, and until there was evidence available, I think um, often doctors and uh, the public think, uh, well, you know, prevention is, is good. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so having more tests is even better, um, but in fact, um, when you start to look at things, that's not necessarily true. So um, we've we um, decided that there had been some new studies um, done over the last uh, five years mm -hmm. uh, that we'd look we'd look at and see what they what, uh, what sort of results they gave us. There have been. Uh, so we we did a um, systematic review of the literature, uh, saying we our scientific office did most of the work for this for mm -hmm. our, for us. It has been just published as well, uh, and we looked at 22 uh, studies, um, 19 of which were randomized trials. None of them were actually um, direct comparisons of screening versus no screening. Um, they were. Uh, comparisons of people who were identified um, in some way to have um, an abnormal thyroid, a low, uh, sorry, a high TSH, which means hypothyroidism, uh, who weren't symptomatic, and mm -hmm. um, they were randomized to treatment or non-treatment. Okay. So uh, we, again, uh, looked at these um, these studies. Uh, we have a very uh, rigorous m methodological approach um, to doing this, uh, um, and um, we so when when that happens, you can actually come up with some sort of um, uh, scores a bit too much, but um, uh, assessment in terms of the quality uh, or the certainty of the evidence. Okay, so in the press release that CFRC received from Queen's University uh, regarding uh, the new guidelines uh, and recommendations, uh, you recommended uh, that if one is a clinician who orders TSH tests as part of preventative health visits, we would like them to reconsider this practice. The evidence isn't there to suggest a health benefit for this type of screening as a routine part of care. Now with that in mind, if there is no health benefit, what real impact does testing have for patients? Is there a detrimental impact? Well, certainly, again, the uh, trials suggested that, you know, it didn't make any difference to how, how people felt, their quality of life, mm -hmm. um, their um, cardiac status, um, things that you think about with low thyroid. Mm -hmm. Uh, and but if you also think about uh, what this can do in terms of harm, uh, people who have a TSH done one and it's slightly abnormal usually means they have to go back. And so that's just inconvenient. <laughs> Take a day off work yeah, or something. Well, yeah, exactly. And so those things add up. Though, mm -hmm. right? uh, 
Uh, and then if they continue to have, even though they're feeling fine, they continue to have a slightly abnormal thyroid uh, test, they may actually end up um, having to have periodic tests done through their life, mm-hmm. uh, and they may end up on medication. That they may that, not that, necessarily that they, need. Exactly. And so uh, this all adds up to um, medicalizing somebody. So mm-hmm. somebody who's healthy, uh, feels well, suddenly has a disease. And uh, this can, I think, impact people's um, views of themselves. And um, it, it also uh, means as you said, taking a day off work to go to see the doctor periodically. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these costs add up both for people mm-hmm. uh, but also for a single single health care system. Indeed. Um, however, as well, if there's um, medical treatment, including medication to prescribed to treat somebody for what might be believed as uh, thyroid dysfunction, when may when it may in fact not be, could then that make it more difficult to identify another underlying cause of what's going on with that thyroid? Uh, I'm sorry if that doesn't make sense. Yeah, probably not, but it, I think uh, the, the point is that um, some if you follow people, so if people have minor abnormalities in their TSH level. Mm-hmm. If you follow those people along, 60% of them, it'll go back to normal. Okay. So, uh, uh, it, it, but even doing it in the first place puts them in, onto that sort of treadmill. Okay. So, following the research and recommendations that have been made by the task force, what's happening next for it? The task force, um, I think, is looking at... Um, uh, other potential things around exercise, mm-hmm. uh, the benefits, the values of exercise. Uh, there are some uh, guidelines coming out next year, one around esophageal cancer, mm-hmm. another around uh, screening for urinary tract infection. Um, so there are continue to be um, uh, ongoing things in the, in the pipeline for, uh, for the group to assess. Mm-hmm. Having said that, to create a de novo guideline uh, takes 18 months mm-hmm. and $250,000. Oh my! So it's it's not a it's not an inexpensive thing, but if you look at, uh, I guess, the potential benefit of of um, showing that yes, this is actually worthwhile doing um, uh, to improve somebody's health versus or um, uh, not doing because it really isn't doing much. Um, it's uh, it's good value. Okay. Now, as someone who's you know merely accessed medical care every once in a while, um, I'd be very interested to know uh, the impact of recommendations for guidelines on actual practice. Maybe you can speak from experience yourself as a clinician mm-hmm. when you've received guidelines in the past. Do doctors follow guidelines, or are these particular? You must do this now. Is it a guideline, or is it a you must? This is how it's practiced now. You can't go back to the old ways. Right. The uh, there are several answers to that. One is that um, some doctors absolutely pay attention, and others don't. Okay. <laughs> but uh, just uh, you can. Uh, one of the things we obviously want to do is um, 
assess uh, the impact of our guidelines. Mm -hmm. And that's not always easy to do. Um, having said that, uh, Choosing Wisely Canada has had a similar guideline out around thyroid okay. um, screening. Uh, one of my colleagues in uh, Toronto has just published a paper um, uh, using electronic medical record data from primary care mm -hmm. uh, and have showed that the people who were uh, provided with the guideline some evidence actually decreased their use uh, use of TSH so okay. there is there is some evidence out there that um, you know creating guidelines makes a difference mm -hmm. we have done guidelines as an example on um, PSA testing for prostate cancer, mm -hmm. uh, and I think we have had an impact in reducing the number of PSA tests done in um, in healthy men uh, because of lack of evidence of benefit. Um, uh, we've all had done a um, guideline on cervical cancer screening in women, mm -hmm. and you know it used to be that somehow 15 to 20 year olds were having these tests done for no good reason and there was good evidence that you didn't have to start cervical cancer screening in uh, young women as early as uh, perhaps was once thought. So this has had an impact on pushing uh, what is relatively unpleasant test for, for young women uh, further out in, into an age group where they're much more at risk. Okay. Well, thank you very much for this. I, I, I appreciate uh, learning a little bit more about how um, doctors that we go visit on a day-to-day -day basis stay current with what the research is and what those guidelines might be. I'm sure that there are still some practices out there that might be from way back in the day that might still surprise. <laughs> but some people might, the old way works, but at the same time, we know that there are doctors out there that are um, uh, not only participating in the research as such as yourself, but also like paying attention to what other researchers are recommending and incorporating that into their own practice too. I think that's really important to think about and know this is the work that our doctors are doing out there. Uh, totally agree. And it's become easier and easier with uh, uh, access to information um, through uh, the internet, um, a variety of, of sources that family doctors can stay current and actually um, want to stay current. Yeah. Uh, you know, we know that you know, most uh, physicians want to practice the best they can. Mm -hmm. And so part of that piece is um, to stay up to date. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that uh, the College of Family Physicians requires, uh, in order to maintain your certification as a family doctor, you have to do 50 hours of postgraduate work uh, a year. Mm -hmm. And so there is some, again, some incentive to, to uh, continue to stay up to date. All right. Now, Dr. Bert Russell, following all of the work that you have been doing with the task force, what happens for yourself? What's coming up next? Well, I am. Uh, this uh, this will be my probably my last uh, guideline that I'm I'm doing with them. Um, I'm uh, uh, doing some research. I I uh, as part of my research in the past, I was uh, director of the Canadian Primary Care Sentinel Surveillance Network, which is a a network of uh, of research um, groups that come together and collect electronic medical record data and use that for um, 
big data types of type of research. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still involved with that somewhat. I'm no, direct, no longer director. I've passed that on, um, but I have a couple of um, uh, projects I've been involved with there. I'm still uh, doing some continuing professional development uh, activities with a variety of people, and I'm enjoying life and and, pr- and traveling a lot more and actually getting a lot more exercise. So it's it's actually excellent. Uh, it's actually quite enjoyable. Wonderful. Okay, I do have one question that uh, I was chatting with a friend of mine about our our interview. Um, and uh, it was recommended that I should ask you, do you watch Grey's Anatomy? <laughs> uh, it's the hot I, button question everybody's waiting for. <laughs> have you ever I, watched Grey's Anatomy? I have to admit that I have not. <laughs> I, I don't watch much television. Ever. Okay, well, now that things might be winding down at the task force level, though, your assignment, if you choose to accept, is to watch at least one episode and report and, back to me. And see how good it is. <laughs> I might get hooked. You might get hooked, but also, like, if hospitals ran like that, oh, my word. <laughs> but they're always so inventive on that program, too, but I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, uh, so if this services a, a particular listener's interests <laughs> and mine. Okay. Well, with that, uh, thank you very much, Richard Burt Whistle, Dr. Richard Burt Whistle, Emeritus Professor of Family Medicine and Public Health Sciences at Queen's University and Chair of the Task Force Thyroid Dysfunction Working Group. It's been a real pleasure and a fascinating conversation with you today. Thanks very much. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. 